It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, we've been covering the Pentagon briefing. Uh, just wrapped up moments ago, General Kenneth McKenzie, who is command of the U.S. Central Command. Uh, gave a briefing to reporters uh, on the situation happening in Afghanistan uh, near the airport. Of course, it was reported earlier this morning that uh, there was a suicide bomber at the Abbey Gate. uh, And we now know that the Pentagon has confirmed that uh, 12 U.S. service members have passed away, 12 dead, 15 injured, along with uh, an un. Uh, known number of uh, civilians from Afghanistan as well. There was also a bombing at the Barron Hotel. Uh, In the briefing, just to break that down quickly, uh, the general said that 104,000 civilians have been evacuated. 66,000 of those have been evacuated by the United States. Uh, The rest by our partners and allies, 5,000 Americans, and they believe somewhere around 1,000 Americans are left in country. He was quick to note that some of those may not want to leave the country. Uh, He also uh, talked about the fact that the airport is not there to uh, just as a place of defense, uh, that this is actually a place to carry out a mission, uh, which I thought was interesting. He also said that he believed that they had what they needed, the forces they needed to finish the and protect and execute the mission is the way he put it. And then he also uh, noted the threat streams that are real and active He broke those into three components, rocket attacks. uh, Those, of course, would be most threatening to the airstrip itself, the runway being able to get in and out. Vehicle bombs are becoming an increasing concern. And then, of course, the vest bombs, the suicide bombs uh, that they experienced this morning. He said they continue to coordinate with the Taliban in terms of the perimeter and some of the checkpoints along the way. And uh, that's an interesting one to, to get to as well. Uh, for me, this was a, a long overdue to have this type of event and to not hear from anyone. We only had a tweet uh, from the Pentagon for nearly six hours. Uh, nothing from the White House, the administration, uh, or anyone else. So information is good. This was very practical, tactical information. I think the president needs uh, to come out with some leadership in terms of where we are and what comes next. Uh, we'll continue to cover all of that live here at uh, KSL News Radio as we go throughout the afternoon. We'll give you any updates uh, on that as well. Well, with that, we're going to take a quick exhale. We'd like to welcome into the studio Utah Senator Mitt Romney, who's been, uh, we, we don't call it August recess. It's uh, the in-state work period, and you've been working in the state, and we welcome you into the studio. And before we get into some of the Afghanistan pieces, just give us a, a quick glimpse of some of the places you've been around the state, what you're seeing. What are you hearing from citizens right now? Well, I was in the uh, Weber Basin uh, Conservation District, which is uh, dealing with water and how we're going to make sure we have enough water to provide for culinary needs as well as agriculture and keeping the Great Salt Lake from drying up. Uh, I was at Merritt Medical this morning meeting with manufacturers from across the state 
uh, to talk about their needs. Uh, spent some time uh, out at the Great Salt Lake looking at how dry it is out there. Uh, Antelope Island isn't an island anymore. It's yeah. connected to the, to the mainland. Uh, and uh, so I'm getting a chance to get around the state, spend some time uh, in Logan and, and uh, from corner to corner, getting a chance to understand what people are talking about and thinking about. But right now, it's with heavy hearts that we consider what's happening in Afghanistan, the loss of life uh, in that uh, tragic place. Yeah, and that's, uh, that is where all of our thoughts are. The, the thought that came, uh, that came to me was the fact that we've got uh, – we have 12 new Gold Star families uh, as of this morning, and uh, we need to make sure we're thinking about them. Sometimes it's easy to think of the big numbers and the big political battles of this, but uh, as you said, heavy hearts – uh, and a lot of prayers for 12 new Gold Star families that are uh, dealing with some real tough uh, information today. These are uh, typically uh, family people that are serving uh, our nation. And, um, uh, and so the tragedy is not just their own loss of life, which is extraordinary, but the impact on the lives of so many others that love those individuals and relied on them. Um, and having them lost is uh, an unthinkable uh, loss and tragedy. Um, and, of course, what we're seeing in Afghanistan uh, is very troubling. Uh, clearly, uh, I, I would note that, that at this stage I have to acknowledge that the military seems to be doing a very solid job of carrying out their mission of evacuating people. Uh, but they were dealt a very difficult hand, yeah. a very short time period to move a lot of people out of a very dangerous place. But by all appearances at this stage, they seem to be doing their job very well. Yeah, and a very, very difficult do- job under uh, really tough circumstances. If we if we look at the, uh, the component of that, one of the interesting things to me has been some of the criticism that the United States has received from many of our allies around the world. It was fascinating that the British Parliament uh, rapidly reconvened, but they did something that I think they've only done a couple of times in history, and that was they held the president of the United States in contempt uh, for the way the administration has been handling the situation in Kabul. Uh, you sit on the Foreign Relations Committee. You you work in those circles and understand that world. Uh, is this a, a hinge point in terms of America's role as leader of the free world? Well, we've certainly lost an enormous level of credibility. Uh, nations that have worked with us as partners when they've come to, to our aid uh, are questioning whether we really consider them partners or not. Uh, nations that rely on us today for their security, like Taiwan, uh, wonder whether they will be able to count on that support. Uh, and uh, the decision to withdraw from uh, from Afghanistan, I thought, was an error, uh, first executed by President Trump and then by President Biden. Uh, but the withdrawal itself has been so poorly uh, managed uh, that uh, it's given us a real black eye, uh, and and it's important to note that this was not managed poorly by our military. They've they've yeah. they were given a short time frame in very different difficult circumstances to move, but it's really the decision makers on the civilian front, the political leaders, that I think have made a real mistake, and that's why uh, nations around the world are are very dismayed. We apparently did not coordinate terribly well with our allies. Yeah. Um, and when allies have been fighting with you for 20 years, and, and I hope people remember, the reason we were in Afghanistan is because we were attacked on September 11th, and thousands of American lives were lost as a result of al-Qaeda and, to some degree, the Taliban that hosted al-Qaeda. And we went to Afghanistan to knock out al-Qaeda and to punish the Taliban. We stayed in Afghanistan because we did not want them to reconstitute and do it again. Yeah. That's why we were there. And uh, for those who have served from our state, 27 people have lost their their lives in Afghanistan from our state. 
those lives were not lost in vain. Those lives were spent and sacrificed to keep America safe. And we have been safe these last 20 years. I hope the next 20 uh, will be safe. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm so glad that you separated the, the military execution and what those folks have been doing versus the political, the civilian leaders uh, that have been playing, again, regardless of where people fall in the political spectrum. Uh, and you have been one who uh, said, you know what, having 2,500 members of the military there in support roles and training roles and reconnaissance and, and intel roles uh, has been part of what's kept that place stable to whatever degree it is stable, uh, but also has helped keep us secure. And was this a situation where a an outcome became such the focus of having everyone out before the anniversary of 9-11? Did they over-focus on an outcome without really looking at the impact that would have? Boy, that's my point of view. I know I'm in the minority in that regard. Uh, but I think the politics took over where people say, we need to end endless wars, and that becomes a rallying cry. Yeah. Well, wait a second. Uh, if your opponent is still fighting and still wants to attack you, uh, ending endless wars hasn't occurred because you retreat. Uh, they're still there. They will reconstitute and they will attempt to attack us or our friends. That's going to go on. Yeah. And we're going to have to continue to push back against radical, violent Islamism. It's still there. Yeah. And in some respects, stronger than it was 20 years ago. So that that you know that that is still there. And the errors that we've made... Uh, in the way we've withdrawn, uh, I, I think began first by saying, hey, look, we're going to get out. Uh, and and I, I hope people understand there are 250,000 Afghan troops that were able to preserve the country over the last period of time, 20 years over that period of time. And they were there uh, able to do so with the help of, well, more recently, 2,500 troops, but yeah. maybe 5,000 would have been necessary on a permanent basis or a longer term basis. Uh, having 5,000 there supporting 250,000 that then protects not only that government but protects us is, in my opinion, a, a wise a choice of resources. We have tens of thousands in Germany, tens of thousands in South Korea, tens of thousands in Japan. Uh, we we do that not because we, we think we have to help those countries. We do that to protect ourselves yeah. and to secure our interests. And in my view, that was why we were – uh, still in Afghanistan, and I think we withdraw, withdrew in an, at, at the wrong time. We shouldn't have done it during fighting season, mm-hmm. when the Taliban is uh, overrun in in, uh, in in Afghanistan. They they know normally go home in the winter to Pakistan. We should not have executed this during the uh, fighting season. Uh, we did not get people out in time. We did not have the visa programs in, in place. We didn't know where all the Americans were and how to contact them. There's many snafus that were not. Not thought through. Yeah. And I, I want to get to this whole issue of leadership. This is one we've been focusing on uh, just from a standpoint of one of the criticisms that have come from both the left and the right uh, towards the administration has been that they they seem to be incapable of, of kind of a rapid response, of uh, being able to take in information, orient, decide, act, and then, you know, kind of keep that loop going in military terms. Uh, and you've been in, in crisis situations in, in businesses uh, in the Olympics, uh, in in government as as a governor, what is it about being in the room in that situation? How does a leader uh, take in all the information, all the intel that's coming in, uh, and then be able to transform that into a mission or a vision or an objective, and then communicate that out? It seems like that is the biggest criticism from both left and right that the administration just seems in, overwhelmed or incapable of rapidly responding. Well, it begins, in my 
opinion with a, a faulty uh, decision up front. And if you, if you negotiate from a position of weakness, as we did when we first engaged with the Taliban, why, you're already going to be behind the eight ball. Uh, and then if you compound that uh, by not having a rapid decision process that is based upon extensive planning and what-if scenarios, uh, that can only make things worse. And, and then I think one of the elements that's essential to effective leadership is credibility. And so as the person who's speaking to the public, making sure that you're saying exactly uh, what's right and, and cal- uh, providing the truth uh, is essential to maintain credibility. And, and I've watched President Biden and, you know, when he said we weren't there to nation build, it's like, well, wait a second. We were there to stand up a government and a military that could protect Afghanistan and keep the Taliban from taking over. So he, he said some things that, that rung untrue mm-hmm. uh, and made it harder to maintain credibility. And I, 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 I know it's a difficult time for the president. Uh, I, I think he's a man of goodwill, but I think uh, this will, will go down as a very sad chapter in American history. These, these days of uh, leading up to this evacuation and then the evacuation itself. Yeah. So what is the, what is the path forward. I know there's lots of uncertainties and lots of unknowns in this. Uh, again, I'm surprised, you know, the president spoke to the nation four times over the last week, um, one time delaying over five hours and then, you know, came out and spent half of his speech uh, talking about a rule being passed by Nancy Pelosi in the House. Uh, it was it was very much a campaign style speech in terms of his agenda. Uh, and then a little bit of uh, nothing new in terms of Afghanistan. What should the president be saying one, to members of Congress, uh, should Congress be back in session, convened on this issue? Uh, and what should he be saying to the American people and to our allies around the world? Well, speaking the truth is what is, is what is essential and letting people know exactly where we are, how decisions are being made. Uh, and, and there's nothing wrong, as, as we heard General McKenzie just do, to say, I don't know the answer to that. It's fine to say that's something we're still looking at. The American people understand not having all the answers. What they don't understand is having someone uh, come up with something that may not be true. And and that leads to a loss in, in credibility. Where we go forward from here, I, I think it's absolutely essential that we communicate that those Afghans that fought with us and that were part of our effort there, we will use every effort to extract. And, of course, all Americans, we will get them out of the country. I mean, it's part of our national ethos that – um, we leave no one behind or we die trying. Yeah. But, but the idea of saying, oh, sorry, we've got to leave on a certain date because that's what we agreed to with the Taliban, that's not something the American people uh, or our American military will countenance. Yeah. And um, as to whether we honor that particular date or not, that's something which will have to be assessed in terms of what's the best way to get the most people out. But so far, the military has been working pretty aggressively to, get, to, to, to carry out that mission. Uh, and they'll make that assessment. But uh, we can't leave people behind. It's not who we are. Yeah, that's uh, that is exactly right. And as you look at some of the uh, uh, I know you haven't been back in Washington during this in-state work period. Uh, what do you expect uh, in the coming week as as you get back into session, uh, secure briefings, things like that? Uh, what is it that we should be what should the average citizen be listening for, watching for uh, as this continues to unfold? Well, Congress's role, of course, is not to manage the uh, the military or to manage a withdrawal. Congress's role is to provide money uh, so that those that are doing those kinds of jobs have the resources they need, and then to evaluate how well the administration is done. It's the executive branch that, as you know, executes. 
Uh, and uh, and so we will be having hearings to decide, oh, gosh, who who was uh, at fault for not having a better estimate of when the Taliban would take over the country? How do we get so far behind the eight ball? Why do we negotiate when we did? Why do we decide to, to go out during fighting season? Who made the decision to get rid of Bagram Air Force Base? Yeah. I mean, th- these are these are the kinds of issues that Congress will look into. But particularly at the time of crisis, like right now, Congress is not going to step in and try and second guess what the administration or the military is doing. You don't want 535, you know, Congress people and senators all, you know, saying what ought to be done. We uh, definitely don't want that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'd rather have a, a poor, ex- you know, execution than once that is carried out by over 500 people. Uh, but uh, but there will be a full evaluation process. Uh, and, of course, a reassessment of what this means. And, and I think, you know, I, I read an inter- interesting article uh, by Robert O'Brien, uh, President Trump's uh, foreign policy advisor. Um, and he said, we're going to need to make a, a concerted effort in the Pacific to show our friends and allies there that we are not abandoning them, that we are committed to our missions there. Uh, we probably need to make a, a greater investment in our Navy in the Pacific. We need to reach out uh, to our friends in Taiwan because they're getting bombarded mm. with propaganda from the Chinese saying, oh, look, you can't count on the Americans. It's like, no, no, no. We, we were there 20 years, guys. Yeah. We were there 20 years. Uh, and um, uh, so, you know, you can you can count on us. We were, we're with you. Uh, these, these are the kinds of messages we're going to need to carry out. And Messages in word and messages in military investment will hopefully uh, convince. Yeah, it's really interesting. We had uh, former National Security Advisor H.R. McMaster on uh, yesterday, and, and one of the things that uh, he said that caught my attention was he said one of the things he wished the president would do would be to step forward and just redefine the, this current mission of what do we need to do in the next week, the next couple of weeks, the next 30 days, uh, so that the American people can kind of wrap their head around a mission. Uh, as you said, the American people can – handle some ambiguity. They can handle some uncertainty, but they, they need to be led uh, somewhere, and, and so do our, our allies. Uh, one of the things uh, that you mentioned, Senator, that I wanted to go back to uh, was this uh, abandonment of, of Bagram Air Base uh, and all of the the military assets that uh, that went with that. Uh, we know $82 billion is the estimate. Uh, Afghanistan now has more Black Hawk helicopters than 85% of the countries in the world. And as you look at that, just kind of leaving all of that, uh, certainly we don't expect all of that equipment uh, to stay in Afghanistan. We expect it will probably be sold to the Chinese, to the Russians, and to the Iraqis uh, for a, a good price. That might keep the Afghan government running for a little bit. Uh, you were one, uh, even back in your, your presidential run, uh, who kind of saw ahead in terms of what some of the uh, things were on the horizon what are things like this of, of letting so much of our weaponry and our military uh, hardware go? T- again, eventually it's got to be end- ending up in Russia or, or in China. What does that mean and, and uh, what should we look for in terms of particularly those foes in terms of Russia and, uh, and China in the future? Well, you do hope that, that uh, the planners that were looking at, at uh, what might happen in Afghanistan – that they would have had at least one scenario that said there could be a rapid collapse of Afghanistan. And if there is, uh, this is what it would mean in terms of the equipment being left behind, in terms of people to be evacuated and so forth. I hope there was such a scenario. Apparently, it was not one given much credibility. Uh, the president had to weigh, all right, if if we pull all that equipment out, why that's going to say to the Afghans, uh, you know, we don't have any trust that you're going to be able to sustain them yourselves. Uh, so we're going to have to leave some of that behind. 
I would be very surprised that we haven't had hearings on this yet. I'd be very surprised if we left uh, highly sensitive technical equipment behind. But but we left, uh, there's no question, we left a lot of military hardware that will be sold or be, will be used by the Taliban and others. Uh, and you do wonder if there were scenarios that said there might be a rapid uh, collapse, would there not have been an appropriate measure to say, how do we scuttle some of that uh, yeah. equipment and make sure it can't fly for the bad guys? Yeah, absolutely. If you're just joining us, Mitt Romney uh, in studio with us uh, during in-state work period, been traveling around the state. Uh, obviously, Afghanistan is ruling the day today. Uh, Twelve U.S. service members have been killed. Fifteen have been wounded in a suicide bomb attack at the Abbey Gate at the airport in Kabul. And we'll continue to, to monitor all of that. Senator, before uh, we let you go and be back on the road, uh, and this is this is one additional Senate office that has been ahead of schedule, uh, which uh, is just a, a great thing on a in-state work period as a former staffer. Uh, I know that doesn't happen very often, but uh, as we round it out, Senator, anything else, uh, any other thoughts or observations as it relates to where we are and, and some of the things that are on your mind as we uh, look to the days and weeks ahead? Well, I think it's important for us to uh, stand back a bit and say, okay, what are the major challenges that face our country? And and the first of those has to be the rise of China as the world's superpower, the military leader of the world, the largest economy in the world, and the geopolitical leader of the world. That is That changes all of our lives. And we don't yet have an effective strategy to deal with that emergence and to prevent them from being the malevolent player uh, they have been. Um, Number two, I'd say our changing climate falls into that category and how we we deal with wildfires and and water usage and so forth, given given that. And then I'd say number three, our fiscal foundation. We got too much debt. So those are the big. Now there's some issues that are Utah oriented that are the big the big issues in, in our state, how to handle the growth we have. Who do we want to have to come here? I mean, by who? I mean, companies. What kind of enterprises yeah. do we want? Uh, how are we going to accommodate that growth with infrastructure and and, and, and the environmental impacts? Uh, number two, how do we make sure to save rural Utah? Uh, rural Utah is a major part of our heritage. We have a lot of citizens that live in rural parts of our state. We've got to make sure and, 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 and care for those, uh, those people and make sure we're doing the right job. And then number three, I'd say, is water, yeah. which is how do we deal with uh, our water resources uh, we can't allow the Great Salt Lake to dry up. Uh, I know a number of people think, well, who cares? You know, we won't be able to swim there anymore if there's no lake. Except, well, if there's no lake, then there's going to be a lot of dust coming off that lake bed. And that dust includes magnesium and arsenic and things that would make life along the Wasatch Front extremely dangerous. So we've got to make some changes. Those are some of the big issues. I hope we uh, we put politicians' feet to the fire, including mine to make sure we're looking and thinking about those issues. Yeah. All right. I'm going to give you 30 seconds for a quick uh, infrastructure update. What comes next? Well, we got the Senate to pass our infrastructure bill. The House is taking a look at it. Uh, the Democrats are tangled up in their own underwear. I'm not sure they're going to be able to find a way to get the infrastructure bill passed. Uh, I hope they do. It'll be good for Utah. We'll get uh, an extra $3 billion for roads and bridges. We'll get money for broadband expansion, for rail, for transit, for water projects. These things are desperately needed. I hope it gets passed, but, uh, you know, you, uh, you you work as well as you can on a bipartisan basis to make things happen. Yeah, very good. Uh, Senator Mitt Romney joining us in studio here at KSL News Radio. I'm Boyd Matheson. Thanks for joining us on Inside Sources. We're going to take a quick top-of-the-hour news break. When we come back, much more to come on the Pentagon hearing, briefing, uh, what's happening in Afghanistan, and where we go next as a country. And to the new Gold Star families, we give our thoughts, prayers, and best wishes. Stay with us. Much more to come. 
I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.